What's up, HGI investors, and welcome to the final episode, at least for now, of the Hypergrowth Investing Podcast. I'm Aaron Davis, and we are back together physically, which seems kind of poetic. Uh, before we even get started, Luke and I just want to thank all of our viewers for all the amazing support we've seen over the last week and throughout our tenure doing this. Uh, both of us love doing this podcast, and while we both have future projects in the works, we'll always treasure the time we've spent each week bringing you the in-depth analysis that you all have come to expect and appreciate. So with that being said, Luke, how are we doing today? Oh, it's a bittersweet day, Aaron, right? It's a bittersweet day. It's sweet because the, uh, the stock market's up, um, <laughs> but it's bitter because obviously it's our, our final episode and uh, I, I have enjoyed doing this a lot. Um, and uh, we just got my standing desk all good too and I really like that <laughs> setup, so... Yeah, you know, it is it is what it is, but um, I, I don't think this will be the last time the folks out there see us. We're going to do everything we can to, to get this back up and running, but uh, it's been a lot of fun, and I really appreciate. Uh, there was a massive outpouring of, of support and um, positive comments from the people watching this, so uh, that really, it really felt good. It really did, genuinely, authentically. It felt really good to see the amount of people that uh, appreciate what we do every week, and it validated... Um, you know, wh why we do this stuff. So thank you so much for that. Really do appreciate it. Um, but let's let's get on to talking about the stuff that they want to hear, which is <laughs> how to make money in this in this volatile, violent, turbulent market that is is turning a corner, it appears. Yes. And if this is your first time joining us, Hypergrowth Investing is the weekly podcast that picked the brain of investment analyst Luke Lango. For over a year now, we've produced over 50 episodes, taking an in-depth look at the latest tech and investment innovations. Some of the topics we've covered include EVs, clean energy, fintech, housing market, inflation, the Fed, and so much more. We've gone up almost every Wednesday, missing a few here and there, but overall, we've remained consistent uh, to all our subscribers, delivering timely and uh, hopefully profitable insights. Again, I'm Aaron Davis, educator, lifelong learner, and it's been an honor to be your proxy into the mind that is the Luke Lango. So this week's episode is going to be a little bit of everything, uh, some analysis, some insight, and also a ton of appreciation to you, the viewers. Uh, starting things off with Bobby Haney. It will be sad to see this podcast is no more. Love Luke's insight. I have gotten some great ideas on new stocks to invest in and great tips on what to look for down the road in the market. Uh, from Sterling Campbell, Lango has an ability to sift through the turbulence and read the macro tides of the market at large. He also has a way of presenting things in a way that makes sense. It's hard to lose sight of the big picture and these videos help me maintain clarity. And from Pete Holterter, Definitely good value. It's one thing to read the newsletters and emails, but this way, at least we know, know Luke's not an AI. Thank you. We'll be reading these throughout the episode, and it certainly is appreciated and really helps us understand the value we've provided. All right, Luke. Today, I want to look back at our first episode and some of the topics we looked at there and see how far we've come in the last year. So we recorded our first episode January 14th, 2022, uh, which for better or worse, was also the beginning of the Fed policy tightening. Mm -hmm. uh, cryptos were off to a rough start. Saitama mm -hmm. uh, coin was getting notoriety. Unity and Hyundai were partnering on a metaverse project, and some of the old school car manufacturers were entering the EV space. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to today, and let's start with the Fed, as we have mm -hmm. many, many episodes. This past year, you've been pretty much dead on, on what the Fed would do and how it would react. 
Describe how you look at the Fed's role this past year and how it's informed some of your analysis into the sectors that you traditionally focus on. How is it informed? It's informed it in every way. I mean, you know that. <laughs> you know my belief on the Fed. They're the masters of the financial universe. They control everything. I, there was this really silly article that was being passed around in the summer of 22, and it was it was when oil was running up at 100, 110, 115. And, of course, you and I came on here and said, you know, short the heck out of that. <laughs> Um, but, uh, that article was like, oh, the Fed's going to get this rude awakening that they aren't that powerful because OPEC's going to do production cuts and, and they're going to keep oil high and the Fed's going to be stuck in the stagflation environment and they're going to be forced to throw in the towel. And I read that article and I literally laughed out loud. I mean, <laughs> I very rarely actually laugh out loud and read any things, but I literally laughed out loud at that because I'm just like, they don't know diddly squat. The Fed controls everything. And with respect to oil, look at it. OPEC had the big production cut beginning of uh, last month. Oil popped from 77, 76 to 83, wiped out all those gains and then some right now back down to 75, pushed towards 74, 73 a couple days ago because of the Fed. Fed controls everything. So how has the Fed informed our investment decisions over the past 12 months since January 2022? They've informed it in every single way possible. And it is... Uh, I don't know what the exact word for it is, but it, it is pretty funny that we started this podcast at the start of the Fed tightening policy, and we are now ending this podcast <laughs> very likely at the end of their tightening policy. Mm -hmm. So the entire time we were running this podcast, we ran it during a tightening cycle. Um, I do think the Fed is is very close to done. I think they're they're locked in for you know they meet this week. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, announcements on Wednesday. They're they're gonna hike twenty five. That's probably, uh, you know, not a hundred percent, but ninety nine percent. Probably gonna hike twenty five basis points. And then um, after that, it's pause time. I think June June is the pause. I think we're seeing enough inflationary pressures uh, cool off. We did get a hotter than expected ISM uh, manufacturing prices paid number today. That was at fifty three. Expectations around forty nine. But the long-term average going back to 1980 on the ISM prices paid number is about 60 or at 53. So we're below average. We're just bouncing back to average on ISM prices paid pressures. So inflation's at 5%, long-term average is 2.8. If the prices paid index is well below long-term average, it reasons that inflation should come below long-term average too. So I think we're, we're still on track for sub 3% inflation in the next few months. Uh, you're seeing the labor market start to crack. You're seeing the layoffs uh, pile up. We've talked about that before. And then interestingly today, we've talked about this, but I got some new data today about bank lending and how bank lending's really, mm -hmm. you know, kind of uh, dried up significantly. Um, the four-week change of bank lending across America is minus 1.7% right now. Like over the past four weeks, it's dropped 1.7%. That might not seem like a huge number, but it's a record high number. We have only seen drops this big, this sharp drop in bank lending twice before during the bottom of the great financial crisis and during the bottom of the dot-com crash. That's it. Didn't ever see a bank lending drop this big in the 70s or the 80s or the 90s. Only once in the 2000, well, twice in the 2000s because of the 01 and, and, and 08. And then now, didn't mm. see it during COVID. This is as big a drop as you've ever seen in bank lending activity. Bank lending is the pipeline of consumer spending and enterprise spending. Consumer enterprise spending is the pipeline of demand. Economic demand is going to get crushed. That's going to kill inflation. So I think all the drivers are in place for that Fed pause by, by June. So mm. I think, again, the big bull, bull market thesis here has always been 
2023, the Fed is going to wind down their tightening. Mm -hmm. They're going to pause. And when they do, it's going to be off to the races. And Mm -hmm. they're going to be able to do so That's going to in a way that's going to guide us to a soft landing. So that's where I am with the Fed. I'm I'm very bullish on where the Fed is going to go over the next few months and where stocks will go as a result of where they go. And you've been (laughs) bullish throughout the entire entirety, almost, it feels like, of 2022. Every time we've talked about it, it's just been positive. 2023. Yeah. But you've been positive on everything the Fed has said that they were going to do. You've said this is what they have to do, and this is what's going to lead to the outcome that we're at now. Mm -hmm. Aside from, you know, all the different things that you look at, all the different, you know, metrics that you look at, Mm -hmm. what's what's had you remain that kind of positive attitude throughout the time that we've been doing this podcast? Well, this time's not different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the comments just kind of spoke to that. Just I really appreciate that comment because that's what I pride myself in doing is Mm -hmm. zooming out and looking at the big picture. Mm-hmm. And taking the 400-foot view on things. This time is not different. There's this idea called chronocentrism. And I mm-hmm. think it's the most powerful idea in all of life. Mm-hmm. Not just financial markets or the stock market or crypto, but in, in life. Where humans, we only live for 100 years, right? 80, 100 years. 100 if we're really lucky. Um, yeah, fingers crossed. Um, hopefully by the time we're older, it'll be maybe 120, 140. Who knows with the medicine we have these days. But... <laughs> Um, We only give 100 years. And so we give a certain uh, weighting to our present than we do to time beyond the present. And the idea of chronocentrism is that humans get so absorbed in the current moment and the current trends and the current dynamics that they think these trends, these dynamics are different or somehow more important than the ones that happened before, the ones that will come uh, in the future. That's never the case. That's never the case. We're just going through cycles. Sun rises, sun falls. You know, we do the uh, uh, fall, winter, spring, summer, fall, winter, spring, summer. Everything's in cycles. We, we wake up, we brush our teeth, we go to work, we come home, have dinner with the kids, watch TV, go to bed, right? Like everything is in cycles and the markets are the exact same thing. So why have I been able to maintain this confidence, this optimism? Because this time is not different. And if it is different, you got a hell of a lot bigger problems <laughs> than worrying about your, your brokerage account or your mm-hmm. stock account or your personal money, right? If this time is different, this is the end of the cap, end of capitalism, end of the dollar, end of America, then everything is going to, to crap. Mm-hmm. And, and why are you even investing? Why? Like it, at that point, you need to worry. You need to get your, your doomsday locker set up in Nevada, <laughs> you know, 100 feet underground with all your, your cereal boxes and guns and whatnot. But that... You know, I've never lived life like that. Mm-hmm. I never will live life like that. I always live life believing tomorrow is going to be better than today. And uh, next year is going to be better than this year. And the year after that is going to be better than this year. Because I just think as humans, we owe it to ourselves. We only get 100 years to live to always look forward, always be optimistic, always be brighter. Else why live? Mm-hmm. So that's that. That's part of that. That's I think I worked that ethos works its way into my investing strategy and my investing manifesto, mm-hmm. which is. Stocks got crushed in 2022. A lot of the stocks I loved got crushed really hard in 2022. Mm-hmm. And I believe in the companies. Mm-hmm. I believe in the people running them. I believe in their technologies. I believe in their ability to have a positive impact on society, to make life for people more efficient, cheaper, faster, easier, just overall better. Think Talk about things like psychedelics, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Compass Pathways, that was a $70, $80 stock at one point. Now it's come down to you know 10 bucks, mm-hmm. a little bit lower than 10 bucks. But they're making a drug that could fundamentally improve the lives of tens of millions of people in America alone. 
And then not, not even talking about generations after that, you know, our kids, their kids, mm. they're making a drug that can fundamentally eradicate one of the biggest diseases, afflictions humans suffer from. I believe in that. Mm -hmm. I believe in what the company's doing. I believe what the, in the long-term potential they have and maintain confidence in that stock, despite the fact that it's, you know, like I said, probably from 80, I don't know what it peaked at, but it was something really high down to a single digit stock, maintain confidence because of the company and the value I believe they can generate in the long run. And that's also my confidence in, in the markets. Mm -hmm. it's, it's my belief in the U.S. economy. It's my belief in, in my fellow human. It's my belief in, in the, the ability of Americans to work through crises, develop solutions to solve those crises, and move on to see another day, see another month, see another year. And that's, that's why I maintain confidence in that. So with the Fed, why do I have confidence in the Fed? They're not dumb. Mm -hmm. A lot of people out there love to make fun of the Fed. They're not dumb. They're a heck of a lot smarter than, no offense to anybody listening, and I'll, I'll throw myself in this group. They're smarter than all of us, okay? Jerome Powell is a lot smarter than I am, okay? A lot smarter. <laughs> and I think everybody else sitting on that board knows what they're doing. They got there for a reason. They've been educated in this stuff. They know how this stuff works. They know exactly what they're doing. And what have they been doing? They have been playing the game perfectly, Talk like we're going to just crush the economy. We're the super hawks. We got big hammers and we're coming to work. And that scared everybody. And now people, they stopped spending a little bit. People have, have, have cut uh, hiring down. They, they're starting to fire people. And all of a sudden you're getting this demand destruction. You're getting these unemployment rises. You're getting this inflation fall. And guess what? Guess where we stand today? We are, we've taken inflation from above 9% to 5%. We're going to get a, a CPI report in in two weeks. So I think we're probably going to come down to four or five or four or four. So we'll officially cut inflation in half without the economy going into a recession, without unemployment spiking like crazy, like unemployment's rising a little bit, but not spiking like crazy, mm -hmm. without the average American really getting punched in the mouth. Mm -hmm. It might feel like life's a little hard right now for a lot of people, and it is and indeed, but it's not 08, right? It's, it's not the early 1980s. It's not the mid-1970s. Those were a lot harder times. This Fed has done a fabulous job. So my confidence in them is, is the track record. I see what they've done. They've taken inflation down 450 basis points. They've cut it in half without killing the economy. Wow, good job. Finish us off with a masterful act, have a grand finale that's a pause in June, and let's get this soft landing. So that's where I am with the Fed. All right. Um, wanna switch things up to cryptos. Okay. Uh, I honestly, I don't remember Saitama coin. Uh, crypto in general had a rough 2022. Mm -hmm. uh, we seem to be in the beginnings of that pre-happening rally. Mm -hmm. Looking back, what would have been the best way to play cryptos in 2022? Looking at how 2022 went. And what do you see the best way to play cryptos moving forward in 2023 and beyond? Well, uh, you know, in our services, we didn't, we didn't buy any cryptos in, for eight or nine months there in 2022. Because it just, I mean... This thing operates in cycles. Mm -hmm. This thing being crypto. Same thing. And um, yeah, same thing. Exactly. Same thing. It's all <laughs> cycles. Um, and crypto just has this pattern where it rallies like crazy about 12 months before a halving. Mm -hmm. And then it rallies like crazy, crazy 12 months after a halving. And then you get a little bit more. So maybe six, eight more months of big gains. Then you top out and then you fall about 80% on Bitcoin over the next 12 to 16 months. Mm -hmm. And then you bottom about 12 to 16 months before the next halving. And then you start the cycle all over again. You rally for two, three years 
and then you bust for a year. Rally two, three, bust for a year. That has been what cryptos have done. Now this is the fourth time they're doing it. Mm -hmm. So I'm calling this the fourth boom cycle. So what's the best way to play cryptos in 2023? BTFD, buy the flipping dip, Mm -hmm. right? That's the way to play cryptos in 2023 because I think that we are just in the fourth boom cycle. We are now, we dropped 80%. We bottomed 12 to 16 months, about 15 months before the fourth Bitcoin halving. Now we're in the process of rallying. We're already, what, up 80, 90% off the lows? No, yeah, about 90% off the lows. Mm -hmm. We have a lot more runway to go because normally in that first year, uh, you retake about 38 to 50% of the previous bear market losses. So that would put us at like 45,000 by the end of this year or by early 2024. So I think crypto is now at Bitcoin's at 28, 29. I think we go up to 45 and then usually make new highs in the year after the halving. So I think if I have price targets of Bitcoin, I would say early 24, you're looking at 45. Early 25, I think you're looking at 100. I think that's what we're doing right now. We're Mm -hmm. in that ramp. So BTFD crypto, BTFD Bitcoin, love Ethereum. I think that's that's the place to be. But, um, you know, I, I just think a lot of factors are working in its favor beyond just the crypto cycle you have all these bank failures going on, right? Mm-hmm. You know, First Republic just got taken over by J.P. Morgan. Yep. So uh, that's probably the last zombie bank to go under. I don't think it's going to be a, a bigger systemic risk beyond that. But the fact of the matter is I think there is, there is a growing distrust uh, amongst consumers, American consumers, and also emerging markets that, you know, U.S. banks are not as safe as they once were. U.S. dollars losing power. Um... And maybe in that world, there is a place for cryptos as, as a store of value, as a real currency that, mm-hmm. that, that can do things. So you're, you're seeing that movement gain as well. And so I think that's also helping things out. Then you have having companies like MasterCard come in here and trying to develop new uh, regula- regulatory framework for cryptos to have more uh, to have safer crypto transactions. Uh, Venmo just announced that uh, starting, I believe, this month, this month of May, they're going to allow crypto transfers. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're seeing the adoption uh, framework come into play as well. So a lot of factors are just are coming together at once, a convergence of factors, if you will, that I believe will create a, a large move upward in, in crypto prices. And so, yeah, I think this is the beginning of we're in the second inning of, of a big rally mm-hmm. and I'd be buying dips. So going back to the idea that it is a cyclical nature and looking at the timing of what happened with how bad the market was in 2022, was there a correlation between the two being not good investment spaces at the time? Or was that just a cycle separate from the market? No, no. I mean, like you said, everything operates in cycles. Mm-hmm. And the cycle of crypto is not detached from the cycle of the economy or the cycle of regular financial markets, the stock market. Um, you know, crypto so developed as a risk on asset. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin is just acting like Meta or NVIDIA mm-hmm. or just another NASDAQ 100 stock, NASDAQ 100 giant. So no, those those cycles are completely related. And again, they're all driven by the Fed. Mm-hmm. The Fed drives these cycles. They drive the boom, they drive the bus, they drive the boom, they drive the bus. Best documentary ever. I know we mentioned it on this podcast before. <laughs> is Boom Bus Boom. And it's by mm-hmm. the same guys that did um oh uh hilarious comedy, British comedy. I totally forget the name of it right now. Uh, I'll come back to it. Anyways, <laughs> very funny guys. They created this documentary, Boom Bust Boom. It's on, it was on Netflix. I believe they removed it. It might be on Amazon Prime now. I don't know. Go watch it. It's the best documentary of all time about finance because it shows you all this stuff does is it happens over and over and over and over again. Boom Bust Boom Bust Boom Bust. Whether it's stocks, whether it's bonds, whether it's freaking tulips back in the 1600s, 
whether it's cryptos into the 2020s, it all happens over and over and over and over and over and over again. It's all cycled. It's all cyclical in nature. So um, that's, that's one of the reasons that I think, you know, you buy cryptos, you buy stocks here because we are in this cycle. We are in the bottom of a cycle. Is it the very bottom? I mean, I think stocks bottom. I think crypto is bottom for sure. But if it's not the very bottom, it's dang near close mm-hmm. to one. And it's close enough to where you need to be buying at the bottom of the cycle if you have, you know, a two, three, four year, five year uh, time frame. And if, if you've got a 10 plus year time frame, you should be putting everything you got <laughs> into the stock market. Every little penny needs to go in right now. Mm-hmm. Literally, I, I don't, I don't see if, you, if you're investing for more than ten years, there is no reason not to put everything in right now. Truly, okay. that's that's what I'm doing. All right, sounds good. Uh, switching gears again uh, to our, you know, looking at our first episode, the metaverse seemed like it was going to be the next big thing in early 2022. Hype is died a little bit, and I'm sure there are still ways to invest. Uh, looking back at the Unity Hyundai partnership, are there similar unique insights into the metaverse worth looking at today? Yeah, the metaverse is one of those things that had a hype wave and is struggling to come back, despite other things are making a comeback. Now, metaverse is not, and I'm, I'm not there with the metaverse right now, because mm-hmm. I think that it's something that comes next next, right? There are things that are next. Mm-hmm. What's next? Robotic process automation, warehouse automation, artificial intelligence, general artificial intelligence, not general, um, generative artificial mm-hmm. intelligence, um, electric vehicles, self-driving. These are next. Metaverse is next, next. Metaverse is what happens after these things. Then I think metaverse becomes more accessible, more real, more convenient, more real life utility type situation. So I think that metaverse is not really... I'm not going to say it's not investable right now, but I don't think it's the best place to be investing uh, in terms of technological hypergrowth trends mm-hmm. because of the fact that it does have a what I would say a longer growth horizon than some of the other developments or industries happening right now. Um, one thing that is a big catalyst there, though, is that Apple is announcing their mixed reality headset this year. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be a very big launch. Like we've talked about it before. Is that being kind of like the catalyst to maybe wake up this industry? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it will be, but let's see how demand reacts, how consumer demand reacts uh, after that launch. That's going to come out in the spring of this year. Mm-hmm. So let's see what happens. And uh, yeah, then then let's judge after that. Okay. That's where I am with the metaverse. All right. Uh, lastly, looking back at our first episode, looks like those old school car manufacturers are definitely getting a piece of the EV pie. Mm-hmm. Uh, EVs have been one of the consistent sectors here on HGI. What does the future in the EV markets look like in regrets to the combination of, you know, the old, the new, and potential future competitors in the next five to ten years? Yeah. Electric vehicles are on a predetermined course to, I would say, achieve at least 50% of new auto sales by 2030 in the US and likely more, probably closer to 60, 65, 70%. So we're at 10% today. That's you know sevenfold, fivefold, sixfold increase from where we are. So I think the whole industry grows by a whole bunch. I think that's basically written in stone. Just given all the laws, all the legislation, all the shifting production, all the shifting marketing, all that stuff. It's I think it's pretty much set in stone that's gonna happen. Who's gonna win? Who's gonna win the race? Well, I think that you're either going to, and we've talked about this before, there's three ways to win. One, you win by uh, manufacturing capability. Two, you win by pricing. Or three, you win by technology. 
And I think when you look at Tesla, I think they're going to win because of manufacturing capability and pricing. They are coming out there with, you know, $30,000, $35,000, cutting it down to thirty. I think they're going to be the first in market with a $20,000 EV. So I think Tesla is going to win. I think manufacturing capability also benefits the likes of Ford and GM and Volkswagen, the current incumbent huge auto producers. They will electrify. They will successfully electrify. They will make a lot of electric vehicles at very low cost, and they'll win that war, okay? Or they'll be winners in this in this war. Um, who's going to win on technology? That's where Lucid comes in. Lucid's got the best tech in the game. We talked about it at Test Drove Lucid, mm-hmm. you know, two weeks, two weekends ago. It's, I mean, it's a spaceship. Mm-hmm. It's a spaceship in a car. It's it, it's it's unparalleled. And um, I think they're going to win on the tech front. So I think when you look out at, at who's going to win, you got to find somebody that's going to win on price, somebody that's going to win on tech, or somebody that's going to win on manufacturing capability. And um, not all EVs will make it. Lordstown Motors is one that's crashing right now, mm-hmm. and I think that goes to zero. We've already seen a couple bankruptcies in the space. I don't. I think Faraday is probably in trouble. Um, I think there there are some companies out there that just they won't cut it. But um, the ones that do will have a lot of a lot of pie to eat up because that's what happens, right? When when a market grows like crazy, yet a lot of the competitors start to go under, that means there's a lot of market share up for grabs. Mm-hmm. And so I think the ones that do end up winning will have a lot of upside potential in their stock prices from current levels because they're pretty much all being priced for death, like a lot of, except for Tesla. Mm-hmm. A lot of them being priced at Rivian's really low valuation, uh, Lucid's really low valuation, Fisker's really low valuation, Canoe's basically priced like it's going to die, like literally. So, you know, a lot of these are really priced for absolute, <laughs> but the ones that don't are going to have massive return potential from here. And so that's why I, I like this space if you're selective in it. Or if you don't know who's going to win, I say place five bets. Mm-hmm. Equal weight. Two of them are going to win, and they're going to more than compensate your losers. That's the benefit of investing at low prices. Now. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if you invest high, your risk reward's not great. And then three of them fail. Your two that go up don't go up that much. If three that fail have a lot of room to fall. So, yeah, you lose. Here, when all five are super depressed, mm-hmm. the three that fail don't lose that much. Two that go up, man, huge return <laughs> potential. Uh, it overweights the, 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 the potential losses. So that's why I think you have to be interested in the space right now if you're a long-term investor. I think short-term, there's definitely some struggles with pricing because of Tesla. Mm-hmm. Tesla just came in. They're like, we got to win this war. So they're like, cut, 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 cut. So in terms of that long-term outlook, and we've had you've used this analogy before, what inning are we when it comes to those winners? Yeah, I mean, what this is probably the third or fourth inning of the, fourth. of the electric vehicle revolution. Mm-hmm. I mean, 10% is pretty meaningful. Yeah. It's a pretty meaningful uh, chunk of, of new car sales. But like, you know, California's got that law, 2035, or is it 2030? I think it's 2035, banning all uh, new gas car sales. Mm-hmm. So by 2035, California's aiming for 100%. I think that's the gold standard. I know California gets a lot of hate. I'm a Cali boy, so I got I got to defend the home the home territory, the home turf. But I I think they are creating the model for the future. I think 100 percent by 2035 is a model that a lot of states and a lot of geographies will follow. Not globally, not nationally, mm-hmm. but a lot of different geographies will follow that 100 percent by 2035. So 10 percent today that would technically put us more on the first inning of things, mm-hmm. but. Um, I think the, the last, you know, several percent are going to be tough to get. So probably third or fourth inning, I would say. All right. Um, before we move on, I just want to read some more fan love. Uh, Ed Scott says, love the podcast and got me investing in Luke. Uh, from Rahul Kahal, we need more voices like Luke. 
And from open letters, I used to be a meet Kevin guy. After coming across your videos a year ago, I almost never watch them anymore. I get a ton of value out of your commentary, Luke, and Aaron, you do a great job too. Thanks a bunch for making these weekly updates. It has kept me well informed. Again, thank you to all of you, the viewers. Without you, none of this would have been possible. Okay, Luke, this is the unfortunate end of the HGI podcast. It certainly isn't the end of your analysis into the markets. And while we've always tried to make this podcast as accessible as possible, uh, with it coming to an end, we wanted to offer ways for our viewers who may not know who you are outside of this podcast, a way to stay up to date and, you'll pardon the pun, invested. Uh, so what I wanted to do right now is talk a little bit about your services and how they're different from each other and what people can expect from them if they decide that it's a fit for them. Uh, starting off with Innovation Investor, your premier newsletter service. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, that's that's my flagship product. It's my my entry-level product. It's you know, in, the, in the front door of, of my services, I would say. Um, listen, I mean... I, I debated Aaron before this. I'm like, I don't want to go over my services because <laughs> the the whole point of this podcast, folks, was to entertain and enrich you. It wasn't to sell you. And uh, that's part of the reason we're getting shut down because we didn't sell you. <laughs> so uh, I guess, you know, there, there's some irony in that, but I wouldn't have done it any other way. And um, we are going to talk about the services here, but I, I, I'm going to keep it very brief. I, I think that why should you sign up for Innovation Investor? I Forget the stock picks, forget the portfolios, forget all that stuff. You know what I do in that in that product and a lot of my other products as well is I provide mm, on the order of three thousand to four thousand words of of research to the subscribers every single day. I, I you know I, I I bust my butt, bust my chops for for these services, and you know I've I've you guys have seen I have access to a Bloomberg terminal. I'm doing all the research that I possibly can, and I synthesize all that research into a bunch of charts and analysis every single day, literally on the order of three thousand to four thousand words a day. Gets emailed to these people, and they get to stay up to date on every single development in the market. Not even just beyond the scope of hypergrowth investing, beyond the scope of tech, beyond the scope of what my specialties are. Talk about oil and gas, talk about gold, talk about all those stuff. Breakouts here, breakout there. This looks like a top, you know, maybe avoid this sector. What, what's the, we, we just in, instituted a new thing called uh, the market health check, where every single day I'm giving you a health check on the technicals, the valuation, the fundamentals of the market. So technicals, we're looking at the S&P 500 chart. We're saying, okay, you know, is it in an uptrend? Where are the moving averages? How is it uh, uh, faring with respect to relative strength indices? Where are the technical levels we got across? When when is a breakout started? We consolidating different things like that. Valuation, we're looking at the forward earnings multiple on the S&P 500. We're comparing that to Treasury yields. That's the equity risk premium, as you know, we talked about that in this podcast before. So we're tracking that on a daily basis relative to the long term averages to see where the benchmark. Great buying opportunities, short-term selling opportunity, la da la da, so on and so forth. And then uh, fundamentals, we're looking at, you know, every day we're tracking the S&P 500 2023 and 2024 earnings estimates. So we're trying to see, okay, are those moving higher? Are they moving lower? Because we're in earnings season right now, as we talked mm -hmm. about. And um, as we said, going into this earnings season, we were at 240 on, on 2024 and we were at uh, 218 on 2023. And now that's starting to turn higher a little bit because earnings season has been good. So that's one of the reasons stocks have been supported by, by a bid recently is because those, those fundamentals are good. So we do all this stuff and more in, in these, these call them daily notes. And we send that out to all our subscribers every single day. So if you want to stay in touch with me, if you want to continue to be invested uh, <laughs> in with me, whatever whatever the term is there, 
You know, that's the best way to do it because that's where I that's where I I sweat. Mm-hmm. That's where I work. That's where I grind. And that's where I come up with all, all the things that, that we talk about. That's mm-hmm. that's my life. So um, that's probably the best way to do it. Innovation Investor is has access to those daily notes. That that is a great first first step in the door, if you will, into the the wheelhouse of products that that we offer uh, at Investor Place and under the Loop Lango franchise as well. Yeah, and and again, it's one of the reasons why I don't even get to see you that much. I only get to see you on this podcast. So I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely. It, 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 yeah. it consumes. He's, a, it he's consumes, a busy guy, guys. He's very it consumes busy. a lot of yeah. time. I mean, when we got into this business, right? I mean, I, I'm new to the newsletter game. I mm-hmm. started in, in 2019, basically, mm-hmm. and um, you know, the standard was once a month monthly issues, and, and then a pick a month, and it was just kind of that's it's so archaic and boring and not dynamic. And you know, you pay me to work for you every day. You don't pay me to give you something once a month. Mm-hmm. So let me work for you every day. And and we pioneered this idea that you know, if you're gonna get uh, you're going to pay for research, financial research. You should get some stuff every single day because guess what? Stocks are moving every single day. Guess what? Earnings are being reported every single day. There's new economic reports every single day. There is something to update you on every single day, regardless of your time frame as an investor. Because a lot of people are like, oh, I'm a long-term investor. I can just forget about the short-term. Yes, to an extent, it's true. But the long-term is nothing more than the short-term compiled, right? Like, what is five days? Well, it's one day plus one day plus one day plus one day plus one day. So what is a year? Well, it's one month plus one month, you know, 12 months over. What is 10 years? Well, it's 10. So you just, the long term is nothing more than a stitching of the short term altogether, one after the other sequentially. So that's why we do it. That's why I provide that service. And that's why I, I really believe the best way to, to, to stay invested and, and to keep in touch is, is through the daily notes. It's basically what we do here. <laughs> yeah. But every single day in written format with a ton of charts. Everything I do is- Loves the charts. It's, it, it, there's a chart <laughs> with, a picture paints a thousand words. I can tell you a lot of things, but sometimes you just gotta, you gotta see the data, you gotta see the chart to understand, oh, that's where the ISM prices paid index is today. It's like one of my charts today is, you know, we got the ISM prices paid. A lot of people are concerned, okay, ISM prices paid, went up from 49 to 53 in the month of April, manufacturing prices paid. So like, oh, inflation's coming back. No, it's not. Zoom out, look at the big picture, take the 400 foot view. Let's look at the ISM prices paid index, manufacturing prices paid index all the way back to 1980. What's the average? The average is 60. We're at 53.2. So yes, we're turning higher, been turning higher ever since December, but we're at 53.2 versus the long-term average of 60. That means price pressures in the manufacturing industry in the US are below average right now. That's bullish on inflation. That's not bearish on inflation. That's bullish on inflation. Mm-hmm. So those are the types of charts analysis I'll give you every single day. Every new economic report that hits the tape, I analyze, I put together a chart on it, and I send uh, the way of my subscribers. So yeah, that's that's what I do on a daily basis. In case anybody was wondering, I've been yeah. watching this podcast for years. Like, he what does, does he do? Yeah, you know, what does he do? That's yeah. that's that's what I do, and mm-hmm. that's how I develop the the ideas for these podcasts mm-hmm. and the ideas for for my stock picks and the ideas for my portfolios and all the products and stuff. It all starts with that core research. Yes. Uh, next, I want to talk to you about one of your newest services. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's an incredible service, Breakout Trader, uh, and it's again, it's a service that is more geared towards what we're calling the short-term gains. Uh, so tell us what makes this service so unique. Right, to Breakout Trader, it's a pure quant product, right? And that that's the difference, is everything we do, we talk about in these podcasts, everything that I've done historically is this fundamentally focused where uh, we look at companies that are doing cool things and look at their earnings growth potential over the long term and invest in them if it makes sense based on our discounted cash flow models. And we talk about those things. But the Breakout Trader system is just quant. 
meaning we look at chart. We use a system. <laughs> we have an algorithm. The charts here. We a lot of charts. charts. Uh, we have an algorithm that scans the market, all 6,000 stocks in the U.S. stock market every single week, and it finds the ones that are most primed for a breakout. And we have a bunch of different metrics to gauge when a breakout is happening. But, you know, we've developed this algorithm that allows us to pinpoint, you know, stocks that are primed for a breakout. It's based on the uh, idea or the concept of stage analysis, which was pioneered in the 1980s by this guy named Stan Weinstein. Wrote a whole book about it. Um, very good read for those that, that want to just look up stage analysis. You'll find the book. Um, but stage analysis, it's a really cool concept. because It basically says, okay, it sounds pretty, pretty freaking obvious. Uh, at any point in time, a stock is either going up, going down, or going sideways. <laughs> Duh. But when you actually uh, conceptualize it, it allows you to view stocks in a completely different manner. It allows you to look at a stock chart and understand, okay, what stage is it in? So stage one is when it's consolidating and going sideways after a crash. So stocks crash, now it's in stage one, it's called a basing pattern. And then stage two is when, okay, it breaks out of that basing pattern and starts to grind higher, now it's in a breakout. So now it's breaking out, that's stage two. Stage three is, okay, stocks don't go up forever, so eventually breakouts end and they top off, that's a topping pattern, that's stage three. And stage three is, okay, now it's time to fall, now the selling pressure kicks in, now it's a stage four decline. And you go back into stage one, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Every stock follows the cycle, cycle, cycles, cycle, 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 cycle. Life is cycles, folks. Um, <laughs> cycles and charts. Cycles and charts, CNC. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the whole our whole system. What it does is it finds stocks that are in stage one that have just that are showing signs of breaking into stage two. So we buy stocks right before they enter the stage two breakout. And then the same system tells us when they enter stage three and they're topping, so we sell them. So it's geared towards these short-term breakouts, these stage two breakouts. And that's what our system does. We've had a tremendous amount of success thus far with it. Mm -hmm. I think right now we have like 20 open recommendations in the portfolio, 19 of them are winners, 95% mm -hmm. success rate uh, on the open portfolio right now. So that's pretty strong. Uh, we've closed out a lot of big winners, you know, 60% here, 50% there. We had one that was up 100%. So, and these are short term. Yeah, and these these are happening in two or three months or less. Mm -hmm. They're 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 fast, quick hitters. So Sixty percent um, in like two three months. Yeah, and frankly, I don't even know what the companies do. Yeah, yeah I, I don't. Like, I mean, it's I, purely it's purely exciting. Oh, purely quants. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll look up. Okay, this company is is a biotech doing X, Y, and Z, and that's all. You know, that's it. Like I I I don't I don't get involved with the companies because what happens is when you fundamentally uh, get involved with companies, and this can be a good thing, but it's a double edged sword. Mm -hmm. um, you can develop biases. And you're biased towards, okay, I love SoFi. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great business. That means I think every earnings report they report is going to be fantastic, mm -hmm. right? You know, like I have a bias. With these companies, I don't want to have biases because I just follow the charts. Mm -hmm. So I don't even care to learn about them. I don't care to know what they do. I, I, I don't care about it. I just want to know the chart. Is it breaking out? If yes, buy. When it's not breaking out, sell. That's it. So mm -hmm. that's what the system is. That's why it's really unique for our services you know it's a really unique standout product in, in that sense and um uh yeah i'm really excited about some of the developments you're doing there so for example for our, our biggest you know we've talked about it on this podcast mm -hmm. ai mm -hmm. investing there's two things with ai you can either invest in ai or invest using ai and we are in the later stages of developing an ai enhanced version of breakout trader mm -hmm. so i i have a team a very talented team of, of, of caltech uh, folks that have been working on developing integrating ai into breakout traders so as i said we scan the entire market looking for these parameters mm -hmm. uh to get triggered that to register a breakout in a stock 
what this does is what the AI is doing is it's learning these parameters and telling us, okay, which ones are the most important mm-hmm. hyperparameter optimization, which of these parameters are more indicative of successful breakouts than others. Cause right now we're equal weighted. It's like a checklist, mm-hmm. but now all of a sudden we have a weighted checklist, a weighted checklist where AI is telling us the weighting should be. So we can not just pinpoint stocks that are prime for breakouts, but pinpoint this other stocks that are prime for breakouts, which ones are the most likely to succeed in those breakouts. It's, it's a total level up in terms of the breakout trader system. So I'm really excited about that. I am planning to get that into the product and fully launch in the next few months, um, definitely before the summer. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's breakout trader. I love it. It's a lot of fun. It, it's, it's different for me because like I said, I'm a fundamental guy. Yeah. It's what I've done, but uh, I've had a lot of success with the quants and the charts. So you know, it's making me money. I'm gonna stick <laughs> there with you it. Go. Right, and that's the whole point, right? Exactly. Uh, amazing. Uh, next up, early stage investor. Again, the more of the long term investing mm-hmm. strategy. Uh, tell us how this service differs from Breakout Trader and Innovation Investor. Right, so early stage investor is just like the small cap version of Innovation Investor. So basically, you take. Everything we do in Innovation Investor, daily notes, all the stock picks, long-term investing, big-time winners, and you just find, you take that scope and you dial it into the smallest companies in the market. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the ones with the biggest upside potential. We're talking $200 million firms, $50 million firms, $500 million firms, $1.5 billion billion firms, things under the $2 billion range, under $5 billion range. That's where you can find some massive, massive winners. And so that's what early stage investor is, is it takes that scope of investing innovation and dials it into the most explosive corner of the market, which is small cap stocks. Okay. You also have uh, two crypto products, Mm -hmm. uh, Crypto Investor Network, and Ultimate Crypto. Yep. You've teamed up with the godfather of crypto, Charlie Shrem. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us first, how do your views and Charlie's come together in this service? Mm-hmm. And second, what's the difference between the two services? Yeah, so Charlie, I mean, he, he knows everything there is to know about cryptos, right? He's, he's, he's been around the block. He's seen it a million times. He knows what projects are cool, where the money's going. He's, he's the insider. He's, mm-hmm. he's the guy. Um, I bring to the table the macroeconomic thesis and how that influences cryptos. And I also have a whole team of guys that are, you know, some of them coded on the blockchain. So we have that technical expertise as well. So we marry this macroeconomic thesis with the technical expertise, with the insider knowledge, and then boom, you kind of get a... Um, the idea is that you get, you know, a portfolio of cryptos that are going to outperform the, the broader markets. And, and we've done really well so far, and I'm really happy with, with what we've, we've put out there. Um, in terms of outlook, like I said, you know, we think the crypto markets are going to do well in 2023 and 2024. So I think this is a great time to, you know, be invested in cryptos, but it's, it is the wild west. Mm-hmm. And so I, you either buy Bitcoin and Ethereum and just chill, or you go and look for help to find altcoins. Mm-hmm. Don't try and find altcoins on your own because it is a risky game. It's mm-hmm. a risky venture. So either, and if you just buy Bitcoin and Ethereum, I think you'll be completely fine. I think you'll be great. <laughs> That's your choice. Just do that. I'm fine with that. Yeah. But if you do want to look for more explosive returns, more further out on the risk spectrum, you need to find somebody that really knows what they're doing or a group of people that really knows mm-hmm. what they're doing. And I think our team does that. What is the ultimate crypto service? How is it different than the, the coin service? Ultimate crypto kind of has, it has a breakout trader system to it. Mm-hmm. We have something called the MAG system, mm-hmm. which leverages a bunch of data, on-chain data, technical data, price action data, uh, uh, revenue data from, from different sites to understand 
which cryptos are uh, the fundamentally and technically strongest cryptos in the market at any given point in time. And we use that MAG system to, you know, pinpoint potential big winners in mm-hmm. the altcoin market. So that's the difference between coin and muck. Coin is you get access to the people, us, our theses, mm-hmm. you know, our, our outlook on, on altcoins, which you should be buying. Ultimate crypto, okay, you also tap into our quantitative system which has an excellent track record of identifying some of the biggest winners in the market. So that's the difference between those two services. Amazing. Uh, last up, we have a service. I Honestly, the first time you told me about it, I couldn't get my head around it. Still, honestly, I can't get my head around it. Daily 10X. Yes. Where you have a new pick with potential 10X gains. Wait for it. Every day. Yeah. How does that work? Yeah, every single day. Yeah. How does that work? How does it work? A lot of freaking research. That's how it works. <laughs> I bust my butt off. To be to, I, to be fair, I thought this was when when you start first told me about this product, I thought it was like a once a week pick. That this was a weekly yeah, pick. No, this no. is a daily. I don't know what I signed up for, folks, and I agreed to do this, this product. Is, this is a daily pick. Drives me crazy. Yeah. No, I, I actually love doing it, and the reason you know they you know the the execs and investors have actually offered me the option to decrease frequency, and I'm like, you know what? No, that this mm-hmm. is the fountain of ideas. Mm-hmm. From which we find the best ones. Yeah. This is what forces me to every single day look for something new. Don't settle on what we have or what I know. Mm-hmm. Find something new. Always explore the unknown. Mm-hmm. That's a daily 10x. It is the I said the fountain of ideas, the impetus for everything else. It is where all of these stock picks and all of this, this idea creation comes from. And I love being the editor of it and writing it because, again, it forces me to always find new things. And again, this, this is where the, the life ethos comes into the investing ethos. Mm-hmm. I believe in life, the more habitual you become, the more boring you become. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I like good habits, but I don't like forming too many habits. Mm-hmm. I like to always explore new things, always discover something more about yourself, about the people around you, about life. I just got into Formula One racing. <laughs> I hate car forever. I hated cars. I didn't like cars. I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't into that stuff. You know, electric vehicles kind of turned me on, but test driving the Lucid. You know, I have a bunch of friends. I have a buddy that actually started the electric racing team at. Uh, San Diego State. Mm. Um, I just sat down with him. We were talking. We were having lunch, and he was just talking to me about F1, and you know, there's 26 Grand Prix a year, and uh, Red Bull is crushing everybody. Aston Martin, Mercedes are, are duking it out for two and three right now. There's three Grand Prix in in America. There's one in Vegas. I just got into it. I was like, this is competitive. <laughs> this is cool. I'm gonna learn about it. So now I'm into F1 racing. Am I into it? I don't know, but I'm I'm gonna try to yeah. get into it. Yeah. And that's what daily 10x is. It's mm-hmm. like you, you're you from an investment perspective, from a stock perspective, you're constantly discovering new things. And yeah, you know, sometimes maybe I'm going to watch an F1 race and be like, this is not for me. <laughs> but I'm, that doesn't mean I'm not going to go try some, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to, you know, re- retrench and not do anything new. It's like, mm-hmm. no, I'm going to go find something else new. That's what daily 10x is. You know, not every single stock's going to be great. Not every single stock's going to be a home run win, but... Mm-hmm. Come back, find the next one. Maybe this one's for you. Maybe this one's for you. Maybe this one's for you. I love putting, I love doing that service. I think it really forces me to be, um, yeah, just on on the cutting edge of discovering new ideas constantly and not just settling. 
And what what are the things that you look for that make it a 10x, a potential 10x? Yeah, so you got to get to find small companies. You got to find companies uh, with uh, big goals, attacking large addressable markets, preferably really scalable business models. So capital light, high margin, a lot of room for profits, a lot of room for cash flows. Um, preferably things trading at discounted valuations, whether it's the P multiple, EV, VITA, whatever. Valuation metric is best for that business. And then companies that are either leaders or among the leaders in their field mm -hmm. in a disruptive industry, electric vehicles, metaverse, the things we talk about. So when you kind of get that concoction, then you kind of have a recipe for a potential 10x winner. So that, that's what we focus on. But we also aren't limited to that, right? We talked about oil and gas stocks. Mm -hmm. we, we've uh, we've highlighted a few in there. We talked about shipping stocks, highlighted a few, because sometimes 10x winners are in beaten up sectors of the market, mm -hmm. like Best Buy. Mm -hmm. Best Buy was a 10Xer from what 2015 to 2021 because everybody thought Amazon was going to kill Best Buy and they didn't. So Best Buy went from a $7 stock to a $70 stock, right? I mean, it was boom, 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 mm -hmm. boom, boom. Crocs. Everybody thought these ugly shoes <laughs> weren't going to sell. And you know what? Everybody's, I was hoping you would these, find a way to bring Crocs into this final These, these aren't yeah. my Crocs, unfortunately. I wanted to wear Crocs for you guys today. <laughs> but they, um, uh, I did wear Crocs in the plane yesterday. Okay. Um, yeah, so that, that was a, that was a 10 Xer, right? Mm -hmm. That was a 10, 12, $11 stock. That's, you know, 125 now Celsius. Now that's more in, in a growth category because energy drinks are growing, mm -hmm. but still they don't have to be these super sexy developing tech. That's going to change the world names to be a 10 X opportunity. Mm -hmm. You can find them in the consumer realm. You can find them in the oil and gas realm, the industrials, utilities, you can find them anywhere. So long as the opportunity exists. Now in those ones, you got to find about compelling valuations. That's what you have at Best Buy. Mm -hmm. Best Buy got to a single digit P multiple way too cheap. Of course, it's going to soar. That's where Crocs was. Single digit P multiple, way too cheap. Of course, it's going to soar. So when you look at those more non-growth industries to find a 10Xer, you got to find really compelling valuation setups. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that the sheer variety of the products that we just described, <laughs> just there's something for everybody, it seems like. So for anyone who's loved this podcast and wants to continue to hear Luke's insights in a much more specific and detailed avenue, links to each of these services are available in the description. Um, before we wrap, I just want to read a few more uh, fan love comments uh, oh, from Paolo Rueda. Uh, this channel got me to subscribe to Investor Place. Uh, from Greg W., I find your podcast to be the most informative in the market. And lastly, from Fitan Kutri, this show has been a breath of fresh air from all the market pessimism we've been hearing for the last year and a half. Even when the market hit its lowest points, you always stayed calm and put things into perspective. Wish you both nothing but the best, not just professionally but with life in general, there are more important things than the stock market. And I hope you both prosper with them all. Take care. Amen to that comment. <laughs> there are definitely things more important than the stock market. I don't think I could have said it better. I mean, I've been amazed at the impact that we've had. Uh, but for me, it's just been fun to do this with you. And while, you know, I've enjoyed absorbing uh, through osmosis, your amazing and unique insights, it's just been a blast to work this close with you for the past year. Yeah, it has it has been a lot of fun. Like I said, it's it's definitely bittersweet right now, and it'd be bitter bitter if stocks weren't up. <laughs> um, but it is it is definitely bittersweet. I've I've definitely enjoyed doing this podcast. I definitely enjoy uh, your energy, <laughs> the enthusiasm you bring for these topics, your ability to let me go on thirty minute rants sometimes, and for the people to continue listening despite me just ranting and saying the same things over and over again. Sometimes when you feel passionate. Mm -hmm. You say, how many times you say, I love you to your spouse? You say it a lot because you mean it. So um, I really appreciate, you know, what the last year has has taught. I mean, we've grown. Yeah. 
as a podcast, we'll, you know, watch our first episode, watch this one, watch last week's. I mean, we've changed a lot and we've learned a lot. And that's all life is, is one giant learning process. And that's what you need to look at the 2022 bear market as. Mm-hmm. It was an opportunity to learn. People lost money. Everybody got hit. And some people that were short did it. Congratulations. <laughs> um, but it was an opportunity, regardless if you're 65, 45, 25, 15, it's an opportunity to learn and get better, an opportunity to make money coming out of it on the other side of it. Because there is another side of this tunnel, despite the pessimism that, you know, this, some of the comments said, you know, a lot of people want to say that the sky is falling and the world's ending. But uh, this is this is the final ending of, of a bear market. And it's a shame you won't be able to do this podcast in a new bull market, as we've been calling it for, for the last six months. It's a shame you won't be able to finally see it fully come into fruition. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, I'm very excited for when it does come. I'm very excited for the, for the folks listening to enjoy and reap the rewards of of dip buying in the bear market that, you know, will, will be reaped when um, when the bull market does come. So, yeah, it's 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 been a year. Yes. Been a year, but yes. it's been fun. And like I said, we've learned a lot, and that's that's all that matters. So thank you to everybody. Thank you for your comments. Really, um, they really do mean a lot. They really, really, really do. And I, I could not be more thankful for your steady viewership. Absolutely. For you guys coming in and, and being very positive with, with everything that we do. We th- this is my final thought. I promise I'm gonna stop after this. I know I get a tendency to rant, but this is my final thought. Um One of the comments said, you know, thank you for being optimistic, mm-hmm. even when the, the market was at its lows in October. Yeah, I, I think it does take a lot of courage for guys like us to go on a podcast and say, the, it's going to be it's going to be better. It's gonna get better. But it also takes a tremendous amount of courage to listen and receive that message. Absolutely. That it takes a special type of investor to understand the sky is not falling, to not fall for the gimmicks and tricks of mainstream media that you know you're 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 gonna lose everything and that you gotta sell everything, and to actually have the courage to buy the dips and have faith that things will get better. That is commendable. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the people that are watching this podcast that are regular viewers deserve recognition for being able to do that. And I really hope. And I think you have thus far been able to reap some rewards from it. But I think in the next six to 12 months, you're going to really start to reap rewards from that. So I wish everybody watching nothing but the best uh, over the next six to 12 months and six to 12 years and six to 12 decades (laughs) if we get that long. So thank you, everybody. Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, thank you, everyone, one last time to everyone who's watched and listened over the last year. Luke and I are so thankful that you've tuned in each week. And while this is the end of one thing, it's the beginning of a lot of new things, hopefully one of them being at the very least checking out some of Luke's services to see if they are a fit for you. If so, great. If not, all good. And hopefully we'll see you sometime in some form in the future. Until then, bye all.